You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 207 of the Comic Book Informer podcast, coming to you a day late on March 18th, and it's both our fault, so these things happen. No, no, it is not. I was ready to record. This is true. This is true. I suggested, and you agreed. I I wasn't about to disagree, but but this one's not on me. (laughs) Well, Roger, how would you like to have your first publishing credit in a comic book? Your first writing credit in a published comic. I was going to say, I already have one. One of my letters was printed when I was a kid. So I have a publishing credit already. Do you? No. Well, there you go. Sucks to be you. Well. I'm not a tantalus hat. Our old friend Zub has done it again. Oh, God. As we all know, Skull Kickers is coming to a close. And it just couldn't go out without one last middle finger to the rest of the industry. (laughs) In June, Skull Kickers comes to an end with the wrap-up of our sixth and final story arc, Infinite Icons of the Endless Epic. We didn't want this momentous occasion to go unnoticed, so we decided to do what the other comic publishers do when they want to celebrate a big story event. We BS'd a big number on the cover because we could. (laughs) Coming out on June 24th, Skull Kickers number 100. That explains the picture. Okay, I did see that, though. I didn't hey, read the press if release. if other publishers can just slap any old number on the cover and call it an anniversary, then we want in on that action for our final <laughs> issue. That's right. We're jumping straight to number 100 to finish the series and are letting our fans fill in the 66-issue gap with the Twitter hashtag SK100. Tell us in 140 characters a summary of what ham- what happened in an unpublished issue of Skull Kickers from number 34 to 99, and the best ones will be listed in the back of our final issue. Anyone could be one tweet from their first Twitter comic writing credit. So few creator-owned comics ever have an issue 100. We're feeling quite honored to share this rarefied air with Spawn, Savage Dragon, Walking Dead, and Invincible. It's a milestone for creator-owned comics, and we couldn't do it without the Image Comics and our dedicated fan base. Gotta love him. <laughs> Just gotta love him. I have a feeling every time he submits a solicit for a new issue of Skull Kickers, somebody at Image Comics has the world's largest facepalm. Yeah. They are happy this comic is ending. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up now. I don't know. I might have to submit a tweet. Oh, I've got a couple already in mind. <laughs> I'm going to get through on <laughs> on volume alone. alone. Yeah, he's bound to pick one of yours. <laughs> Well, following up on our discussion from last week, we have some more Daredevil. This time, I decided to jump ahead to the year 2002, when a young guy by the name of Brian Michael Bendis was just getting his start at Marvel by writing Daredevil. Specifically, we're looking at issues 32 to 37, uh, as I said, written by Bendis, art by Alex Maleev and Matt Hollingsworth. And the storyline is called Out. And it makes a very fitting follow-up to our last one because it's once again the exposure of Matt Murdock as Daredevil. And I have to say, I absolutely loved these issues. 
Well, I actually Twittered about it too when I finished it. And it was like, no, no, this can't be the last issue. I, like, I need to know more of what's going on. I'm going to have to dig out more of these, these back issues to see. Because, yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. There were elements throughout that I... I really enjoyed, and you got to give props to the art and to Bendis, if, or not Bendis, but the, what's his face, if he actually was telling him exactly what he wanted, because the um, a lot goes on in each panel that is not just spoken word, but there's a lot going on. Like when you're seeing, yeah, it is Bendis, duh. when you're seeing the... Um, the whoever the big wig is that they bring in, in in his pajamas kind of thing and he's taking the marker to the picture face and you're going why hasn't anybody done this yet <laughs> look at these stupid costumes that don't cover anything especially the face masks like why isn't somebody putting two and two together and taking a sharpie out and saying wow that jaw looks quite similar to this one here but you never see that and there's a lot of little things like that throughout that i really enjoyed yeah, and I, I've talked about Alex Maleev's artwork a lot before and how on a lot of comics it just hasn't really worked for me. He nails it here. Like those rooftop scenes and the rain, like it. this is spectacular work. It's a gritty detective story and it fits perfect. Mm-hmm. So for the story itself, uh, this was partway through Bendis' run, uh, still somewhat near the beginning. He actually wrote Daredevil for 80-some-odd issues. And this was, I think, around 20 or so into his his time on the comic where uh, Kingpin had been taken out. Uh, a bunch of his subordinates finally had enough of him and Julius Caesared him. Uh, didn't quite take him out for good, as we all know, but uh, did a good job of getting him out of the business. And one of these subordinates comes running to the police because everybody else is being taken out. Uh, the fingers somewhat being pointed at Vanessa Kingpin's estranged wife who wants to to take over the the kingdom, if you will, for her own purposes. And the cookie that he comes with is that he knows who Daredevil is. Because Kingpin, of course, knew, tying back into the Born Again that we talked about last week. And all of the other Underworld members were very displeased to know that he'd been holding this a secret for years. So it, it finally got out, and it's one of the things that led to his own downfall. And he comes out to the police and says... Matt Murdock is Daredevil. And you had some great moments behind the scenes with, I guess it's the commissioner or the chief or, yeah, whoever that guy was. You know, I don't think he was ever particularly named, but you can kind of get enough of a feeling from the way the scene is written to get his general uh, where he fits into the police department. Or actually it was the FBI. FBI. Yeah, not, not the police. And it, it was a great bit about how helpful he's been and how he deserves to have his anonymity and it's not going to be on them to sell him out. But of course, one of them sells him out. <laughs> so he goes to, uh, what was the paper here? Uh, Something globe, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the globe. I was missing, one thing missing from my notes. Uh, one of their reporters, and it becomes front page news. Daredevil is a blind lawyer from Hell's Kitchen. And this just leads to absolute chaos, of course, for Matt. But what I really loved about these scenes was when Foggy was talking to him. Yeah, Foggy Nelson's longtime yeah. friend and business partner. The stuff he was saying about how everybody that he's touched has, you know, been lost. Uh, Karen Page, who was in Born Again, had died 
not that long before this storyline came out and just the speech he gave. And it was the it was such a human speech from a comic book of somebody who doesn't want to lose their best friend. It was really good stuff. Well, the thing that I liked about it, too, was that it starts off like that. It starts off like such conversations would when you're confronting somebody because of a, an issue that they have, whether, you know, it's alcohol, there's a more, any other kind of thing. And it's very, he's, he's tiptoeing around the issue. He's being very gentle so that he's not going to say anything that's going to send him off the deep end and just disappear kind of thing. So he's gentle, but as it progresses and as he starts saying more and more of the consequences of those actions of being daredevil, it starts to get harsher and harsher. To, and you can see that it's him finally, that the, the, you know, the dam's been broken. And he's saying all the things that he's wanted to say for years and to the point where it gets to the end. And he's like, you can see he regrets some of what he said, but he's kind of glad that it finally got out. Mm-hmm. And this leads to another great scene of, you know, he's afraid to kind of put on the costume and get back out there again. But at one point, he just kind of snaps and he's hanging on that light post and he pulls off his mask, standing within plain sight of anybody in New York. All they have to do is look up. And that line is like, I'm the man without fear. I'm not afraid of you. You know, just look at me. Like, it was the artwork again on that scene was phenomenal. And that was just such a striking moment for that character because daredevil is somebody that we've rarely seen crack yeah and like i mean you see the look in his eyes and and at that point when he realizes what the hell am i doing and then takes off again yes very poignant moment and i love how we had the interesting parallel how i said one of my favorite scenes from born again was jonah and ben Urick. well here we have it completely opposite flipped of jonah is just chewing everybody out because he got scooped on one of the biggest stories of his lifetime and Eric speaks up that he knows who Daredevil is and it's not Matt Murdock. And this is where it was a very, very good use of the Marvel shared universe. You know, so sometimes it's way too much of, you know, everybody, of course, everybody lives in New York, everybody's going to show up. But here we get just Peter Parker walking into the newsroom and going, no, nah, he's not Daredevil. I know who Daredevil is. And it's those small little touches throughout of, OK, Spider-Man shows up to, to help him out a little bit here. If Matt Murdock wants people to believe he's not Daredevil, of course he's going to hire a bodyguard. And of course it's going to be Luke Cage, who is, of course, one, another one of Bendis' favorite characters. So it was those little subtle touches to tie it in with the larger Marvel Universe without going completely over the top. Like uh, we talked about last week when the Avengers showed up. It was very subtle, but it worked very well. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And it makes sense, too, that you'd get Peter showing up because it's... This is the argument that's going on in the bugle. And because mm -hmm. the story broke at um, the Daily Globe versus the Daily Bugle, they need more different types of papers. Apparently Marvel's just as bad at naming their in, in comic papers as their actual comic books. But anyways, the... Um, the all new Daily Bugle. <laughs> the uncanny Daily Bugle. <laughs> That'd be awesome. The... Um, but anyways, the, it makes sense that Peter would kind of just show up and and want to stick up for, for Matt that way. The And then the interactions that you have between Peter and Ben as well, because, I mean, they they already have a history as well in mm -hmm. the Spider-Man comics. Just so to see it here where it's relatable because you've seen it before is really good as well. And again, in this one here, 
Ben freaking shines in this. Yeah, absolutely. But a complete 180 from what yeah. we saw last time. Yeah. Very, same character, but different outlook and way he goes about things. It's, yeah. it's really great. It shows that in the Marvel Universe, you don't have to have superpowers to be an awesome freaking character. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> See, it's interesting because I don't even know if Peter knows that Matt is Daredevil at this point in the story. And I know for damn sure nobody knows that Peter is Spider-Man at this point. This is before Civil War. So I, it's kind of an interesting quirk as well. that He's just standing up for, you know, one of his friends with whether it's true or not. I got the impression that he knew, though. I don't, I, th- I I don't think know, so, but, but I, I, I honestly don't know yeah. for sure. And we have the great ending here of them presumably reaching a settlement in the lawsuit uh, of defamation and all this stuff. And then just Matt being Matt has to get his little jab in. And the the newspaper owner just throws it all away. He's like, no, I refuse to settle because of the way you choose to, you know, flaunt your, <laughs> your lifestyle around and this and that. He's like, it's out there now. Even if I were to retract the statement, everybody's still going to know you're daredevil. So why would I do that? And like you said, you really want to read the next issue, don't you? God, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to find these, like I said, because this was really well written. This was this was significantly better than the other one. Significantly better for different reasons, though. But like, again, I had an appreciation for what was done in the other one. But there were some things that kind of went overboard. And, and when it was done, it was like, okay. I read it. It's done. This here is like, no, no, no. I need to know what happened after this. And again, we have an instance where what makes this spectacular is the stuff with Matt, not with, with Daredevil and his relationship with everybody else as well. Like it's all the people moments that make this fantastic, not the superhero moments. Yeah. And unfortunately the, the next couple issues are a side story. So you don't get that immediate resolution. And this is something that plays out over the course of Bendis's run with the character. Uh, he did some crazy stuff here where, I mean, hell's kitchen and New York in general are just an absolute chaos without the Kingpin there. So Matt decides if someone's going to be the kingpin, it might as well be him. And he takes over the underworld in Hell's Kitchen to the point where uh, that all blows up in his face. And in Bendis's last issue, he turns himself over to the FBI and gets arrested. Obviously, I've missed a lot (laughs) in the world of Daredevil because that's all news to me. I had no clue. And just wait until next week because next week is one of my favorite daredevil stories oh we're reading daredevil again next week it's in the show notes jesus dude you should like i read the show notes <laughs> but yeah overall he's a, for a character that neither one of us are super interested in for a story that both of us just absolutely endured because like you said it wasn't about daredevil the superhero it was about matt murdoch the man and Matt Murdock is a hell of a lot more interesting to me than Daredevil yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you see him on the rooftop with Electra as well, and the inner monologue is just as interesting as everything that he's saying, and you feel the pain, and you 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 can relate to him. 
you know, not wanting to say the wrong thing, but not being able to stop himself either. We've all been there and it's just really, really clever writing throughout. And I, I, again, I really dug it because of that. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever wondered why Bendis is such a big deal at Marvel, here's your answer. Because I said this, it was this, an ultimate Spider-Man that really made him the guy and from what we've seen here and from what we've seen for over a decade now of ultimate Spider-Man. He deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So a little short uh, and sweet discussion there because I mean, it's just great stuff. <laughs> the long ones are always when we hate it. Yeah. <laughs> what we're reading is going to be a little short on my side as well because there wasn't a whole lot that really interested me that I've read lately that doesn't have spiders in it. Well, then I will have us covered. <laughs> first of all new avengers we finally get the reveal of who raboom alal the great destroyer is the one who's responsible for everything that's been going wrong in the incursions of the worlds and now that we know who it is why would we not have guessed this from issue one because it's freaking hickman (laughs) i'm not gonna ruin it but once you get there you're like of course of course that's who the big villain would be. But now you do have the fun of unraveling the mystery. But because since, of course, it is Kirkman, the clues were there the whole time. And Hickman. that's the big fun. of yeah, I, How many times have I gotten those two mixed up in the last few weeks? God, I'm sorry. I apologize <laughs> to Jonathan Hickman. But yeah, it's uh, it's been actually pretty fun. The, the mystery and... Uh, discovery of what's going on behind the story. I'm really liking that. And then I saw on Twitter this afternoon, you read the Thor annual. (laughs) I'm caught up on Thor. I am. I was going to talk about it, but you can, but yeah, I'm caught up. Okay. You seem to really enjoy the CM Punk Rob Guillory story. Isn't that freaking awesome? I didn't enjoy the story. That was stupid. But the art (laughs) was spectacular. (laughs) That's the only reason I read it. Like the art was great. Because of his, of course, iconic art style and the fact that the story was basically about a drinking contest. It's like, this is a side story of Chew. I I could not help but think of it. I was waiting for Tony to walk in. I I love how his hammer, if you look on the side, it says, do you even lift, bro? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the art was amazing. (laughs) Stories, Stupid as hell. But and the- we, we had the, the other story with uh, current Thor hanging out with the Warriors 3. And I was like, it was a fun little whatever, nothing story. And I know you're going to laugh at me, but I loved the old King Thor story. As cheesy as it was, I just love oh that character. God, I love the granddaughters. I couldn't help it. I he's, really love that story. He's trying, he, not trying, he's becoming God creating Adam and Eve, except Jane and Steve. And it was like, I literally groaned. Not because I'm like big, devout Christian, Catholic, whatever, going, how dare you? But it was just kind of like, oh, come on. And the story as a whole was, I'm sorry. I thought it was fairly stupid. And you want to talk about cliched. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did not like it at all. I'll fully admit it was cheesy and cliched, but I, I just... I love the granddaughters. The granddaughters need their own comic. <laughs> I disagree, but all right. It's fine. And then, uh, yeah, the latest issue of actual Thor is it's just more okay. I, I'm not. Maybe it's because I've known since day one who 
has the hammer that this whole mystery and investigation is doing nothing for me. Oh, okay, see, I don't know. Okay, it, we, hold on a second. Which one is the newest one? Is it issue six? Issue six, yes. Okay, so yeah. So I am caught up. I read them all. I, I was actually three behind, so I read the uh, the last three. And <laughs> mark your freaking calendars. This is the day that I defend Thor comics against you. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I am actually enjoying this apparently more than you, and that's saying a hell of a lot for a Thor comic for me. And on top of that, again, I'd only read the first few, which they did kind of, they were putting in a lot of old Thor with new Thor and whatnot. But I think that part of the disappointment of there's not enough going on with new Thor, just so that we're not saying girl Thor and boy Thor, Mm -hmm. um, there's not enough there is that the expectation was maybe that it was just going to be a clean boom. It's her comic from now on. And that's that get over it. That was my expectation, but that's not how I went into it. There's no Mm -hmm. way in hell they're dropping old Thor from a Thor comic. It doesn't make sense. Cause even if you look at, well, hell, even the annual, you know, he's getting the hammer back at some point. So this is transient. This is not going to continue forever. So, the way that I looked at it is that it makes sense that it's a comic that features them both. One, him dealing with the shame of losing it and her kicking ass and taking names. So, And I agree with that and I, I'm happy they're both there. I'm just saying that especially the last couple issues have been so heavily in the Odin son's favor with – the actual new Thor getting very little screen time. Did you actually, yeah, but did you actually count the pages? No, I did not, but I I knew going in that that's how you felt. And it was like, as I'm reading, I'm going, no, there's quite a bit here Hmm. with her. Quite a bit. Maybe it's just how I'm interpreting and and feeling the story. There's, well, I mean, they're splitting the story between Minotaur dude, who that's ridiculous and (laughs) old Thor and new Thor. And on top of that, the uh, what's his, Thor's folks are also having their own spiel going on. So the stories are already getting split in a variety of different ways. And I felt that, yeah, she's not necessarily getting the majority of the screen time. She certainly is getting, and again, I didn't count the pages, but it felt as I was reading it quite a bit. And because, again, I didn't think that this was ever going to be a story just of her, not that that would be right or wrong. I just expected it's going to be the both of them kind of thing. So when you take that into consideration, there's quite a bit with her in it. Now, is there too much with the old guy, with the old Thor? Maybe. And and I don't know at what point he decided that shirts were so last year, but it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, give me Listen, a freaking break. If him. you looked like that. That's like saying to every woman, if you had a rack like that, you would dress like a stripper too. No, that does not apply. I hate to break it to you. So yeah, so some of them, there's not as much in that she's not in it as much. Like in point, the last issue, not nearly as much as she should be. But in the other ones, she, I felt she was featured a little bit more. And again, it's just... It's not that I need old dude, bro, because I've never hidden the fact that I'm really not that interested in him. Though I will say that when he's not just being freaking whiny p- 
pain in the butt about losing the hammer, the shame and humiliation of having lost it and coming to grips with that is actually fairly interesting. And I like that aspect of the story. Again, when he's not being all whiny about it and needing to drink himself into a stupor, it's like, oh, come on, I've had it with the freaking Norse gods have to drink themselves into a stupor all the time. Like, but again, the other aspects I, I, I do enjoy. So there have been things that I've liked from both, both aspects and the mystery, because I have no clue who she right. is. I, I, said, I think that's part of it. Like I'm yeah. almost positive. I know who it is. I'm yeah. almost positive. I've known since day one. So, so I'm enjoying that. <laughs> Unless mystery. he pulls a 180 and surprises me, <laughs> the mystery isn't doing anything. Okay. For me, it is. And I'm actually enjoying that mystery. And partially because a, even when it's revealed, I'm, I still might not know. Because I haven't kept up with Thor for, for no, well, never. So I might not have a clue who this is. And that's fine. But reading this, and especially these last three in a row, it feels more like there's a long game going on here. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're not finding out immediately who she is. It felt very much like he scripted out, you know, maybe a dozen issues or more of what's going to happen. And we need to see that through like we would a Hickman story. And that's mm-hmm. maybe why you, everybody wants it now and they're not getting it and they're getting antsy about it or they're not digging it. Whereas I'm like, I'm enjoying the pacing of what's going on. Well, you know what? If they can make you like a Thor. Really? Comic, Dude, come on. My complaints are unimportant. Meaningless. <laughs> now, I will say one other thing before I'm done with Thor because that's enough pampering Thor for me. The <laughs> issue that you talked about that was all meta about what's his face talking about, oh my God, you're a girl Thor and this and that mm-hmm. was stupid. And the mm-hmm. other villain saying, oh, I'm just going to let it pass because, you know, girl power. Oh my God. There is, I don't imagine there's ever been a villain in the history of Spider-Woman comics or anything like that that has said, oh, <laughs> girl power, here, take me in. Screw that. This was, I thought this was utter stupidity just to basically throw their finger up at the fans who objected to it, which, hey, I'm all for throwing your finger up to idiots who object to this kind of thing, but don't (laughs) subject us then to this kind of stupid story thing. I said, I read it and went, oh, that's funny. It wasn't. Oh, wait, they actually published it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it wasn't funny (laughs) in the least. I, I thought it was stupid. All right, as that, that's really all I've got this week. I, that doesn't have spiders in it. So, well, then let's Way talk with you. about some spiders then. The latest Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. where he's like having to, um, good old Pete's back his, again. Yeah, but you have to like, get his shit in order. And yes, I'll have to bleep that. But <laughs> and I don't know how I feel about you, Black Cat. I, you know, yeah, it's it's been. You know, they did it for a little bit there, and I thought, oh, okay, well, let's not drag this on too long, though. But it looks like it's going to be dragged on for a while. I have faith in him that he's going to make me like it just because it's slot. But mm, it, it doesn't really make sense that you'd get that pissed off over this. Yeah, it, it, and it's a character I have trouble taking super seriously in a role like that because she's always been, you know, kind of like Pete, you know, a little more aloof and fun-loving, so her getting super serious without Dr. Octopus being in her brain just doesn't feel right. Yeah. 
So, man. But the rest of the issue was fun. I, I love that he's talking on the phone and reptile. It's like, hang up the phone. <laughs> Take me seriously. Yeah, it, it was good. It wasn't amazing by any stretch, but it was good. But the amazing Spider-Man special where he teams up with the Inhumans. Did you read that so one? I, I actually didn't read it because I don't care about the Inhumans. Too bad. Read it. Okay. This was better than the um, the regular Amazing Spider-Man. And it's a, a three-part story that they're doing. The uh, This one here was written by Jeff Loveless, who I was like, okay, who's this dude and what has he done? The name sounds familiar. He's he, oh, Okay, I don't know if he's written any other comics, but he was like a, a skit writer for um, Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so I was like, okay. But dude knows how to write comic books. Pacing is fantastic throughout. Um, not everybody can write Spider-Man. We've talked about that before. He can write Spider-Man like his Spider-Man, um, not monologuing, but quips and everything throughout and dealing with the new teams. That's Spider-Man. And there were literally a couple of moments where I laughed out loud a little and it was like, <laughs> oh, that's clever. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, no, this was actually, this was good. The art was spectacular as well. So definitely read it. All right. I got caught up as well on Injustice. And I mean, I was behind. You were. I was behind, and I know that. So I, that's cool. But I'm like caught of now, and man, I've missed this comic. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's still fantastic. The what you were saying about the quite obvious um, seam, if you will, from mm-hmm. when uh, Michelotto. Bucciolato? How would we say that? Whatever. Bucciolato. Bucciolato. Took over. Yes, quite obvious when he did. Also because he took over in such a way that it was like, it felt like really separated just because Mm -hmm. he was doing that, let's be inside of Superman's brain and what he's imagining kind of thing, which eh, never really, you know. Yeah, it's cool seeing freaking Batman crank Joker's head, but... You, you know that it's really not even remotely close to real. It's not even a parallel universe where there's some, you know, modicum of reality in it. Here it's just a dream. So because of how it was, that scene was, it was like really noticeable. And it was like, what yeah. the hell? The, the rest of the writing, yeah, no, he's no Tom Taylor as it comes to this story. But I'm still really digging what he's doing. I don't always agree with everything that's being done, but it still is um, like really still, it's, it's still an engaging world that Taylor built. So okay, he didn't create it, but he built it from there kind of thing. <laughs> so he, he, he's got this wonderful sandbox to play in now to do fantastic things. And we're seeing it. There's still some great stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was awesome. Really cool. There were some moments there, especially that were like, "Wow, that was great." <laughs> yeah, this, the stuff with Bruce and Dick was phenomenal. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. The um, are you caught up with Nova? I haven't read the annual that came out, oh. but aside from that, yes. Okay, the annual was the next part See, of the. I never jump in and read annuals. I wait for somebody to tell me whether it's worth reading or not, because well, there's always hit or miss. I was a few issues behind on Nova as well. I was like three issues behind. So I got caught up on that. And then the annual jumps right into him and 
Doc Hulk there, whatever the hell his name is, mm-hmm. and um, and takes off from there, Doc Green. And I mean, the annual is one of those. Well, again, the annual is it's got to, it's the same artist, is it not? Um, Balion and Terry Pallet. The artist, wow, killer, killer. And the the story. I mean, <laughs> there's there's, a, there's elements that are really funny between the two of them. It's like a buddy cop movie almost kind of adventure thing. But they take off into space to try to fix the helmet. And it's not, again, it's not something that is original at all. Trust me. And it's not something that you don't see the ending coming a mile away. But it's still fun to read, actually. It's still actually quite a bit of fun to read. Mm-hmm. Not as good as, say, the regular issues that came out as of late. Those were really quite good. Those were. Yes. Freaking awesome. And what's funny is that, and, and I say funny and that's the wrong term, but the he's going through a lot of stuff right now. And the big thing was him dealing with the concussion. My wife's actually gone through, and, and the thing with concussions is they're, they're, I know I cut myself off there, but concussions are um, cumulative. So the next concussion you get is always going to be the worst concussion you've ever had. Doesn't matter how minor it is. So my wife's had a number of concussions over the years, various things from car accidents to slipping and different things like that. And a few years back, she got a really bad one. It just happened that it was really bad on top of all the other ones. So we've literally spent the last few years with her having to deal with this as well and go into specialists and all kinds of different things. So as I'm reading this and I'm reading all of the things that he's going through with them, it's true. Like it's, it's like they, they didn't play it as honestly, I think as they should have, because it would be even worse than this, but there's a lot of reality in what he's describing and the problems and not being able to concentrate for very long and the headaches and all the other things like that. And, and the progress being very, very slow and, you know, not being dizzy from getting up real fast and a whole bunch of different things like that. were like really authentic and well done. So like, I really dug it because of that. And something we don't see at all in superhero comics. And yeah. it's something that somebody should mention at some point other than, oh, yeah, Frank, you get another concussion. Watch out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a brain injury. It's serious. Uh, back to Spider-Man, uh, latest Spider-Man and the X-Men. I'm assuming you've completely given up on this. I, I haven't given up, but you, you're, you're my canary in the coal mine. Yeah. yeah <laughs> this was like, again, it's one of those we've seen them team up before, Spidey and the X-Men. Where's all this hate coming from? Especially- Did you forget when he single-handedly kicked all their butts in Secret Wars? <laughs> That's a long time ago. <laughs> it's Mutants have long memories. They've teamed up since then. <laughs> this is a lot of hate. Like, this is a lot of hate. Like, from Storm, too. You're like, this is so out of character. And Rachel, oh, she wants to stab him in the eyeball. Like, she is just pouting and breaking into his brain and all kinds of stuff. And then hmm. you got a lot of stupidity where even even Beast is treating him like crap. And you're like, really? Beast? It's it's like so much of the writing. There's there's really cool things here and there, real aspects, cool aspects throughout the story. But there's so much that you're like, this just is does not fit with the characters at all. At all. At all, like Rachel is like getting on Storm's case that we can't trust him. It's it's people like him that lead to our the mutant kind destruction later on. And you're like, it's Pete. 
<laughs> Give me a freaking break. <laughs> he loses his shoes on rooftops all the time. Give me a break. <laughs> He's not your problem. So again, there's aspects that are cool, but then there's so much of it that is so out of character that it's not fun to read. Like that might be the last one that I read, which is too bad. And then did you read Spider-Man 99, 299? Yes, I did. Yeah. That was, meh. It was, it was okay. Again, you have moments where it's like, he's like, get me to this teleporter. I know I'm just a, a biologist, but I'll figure something out. He gets there and he's constantly whining saying, well, I don't know what to do with this. Don't show me that. What, am I, what do you expect me to, you just asked her to bring you there. You point blank said, you probably won't know what to do, but you'll try. Jesus Christ. And then the stupidity with the, the Iron Man, you know, outfits and hitting them. And yeah, it was like, oh, come on. I I really didn't dig this all that much. This is yeah, All this it, did it was felt, set up for the next issues. Yeah, it, it's entirely set up for the Secret Wars crossover. Yeah. But I, yeah, it was kind of just like, okay, killing time for a couple issues. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh, worse, Superior Man, I decided. Five and six, <laughs> last couple, I'll read them. Big mistake. Big. Actually, you know what? No, I stand corrected. I'm happy I read them just because now, now it's official. Now it's like, yep, I'm done. There's, there might have been, because again, it's Taylor. And then, then maybe he's got some long game as well that he's planning that it'll all come together nicely and it'll make sense. It'll be something that I can enjoy. Nope. No. Nope. Not at all. No. Not at all. <laughs> Five and You've six. Been watching Archer again, haven't horrible. you? Horrible. <laughs> Actually, no. I'm so behind nope, on that show. Nope. It's horrible. I've given up on it officially now. That's it. Goodbye. Okay. All new X Men. I actually have not read the latest one yet. Okay. Well, then I'll leave that. And and by latest one, I mean the one from two issues ago because of time traveling comic books. Yeah. Now <laughs> uh, this one here, I really like the art. You'll see when you read it. Art was great. And it's a, again, it's an Emma and Jean story. And it's. Okay. I like it. I like it because of, because that's a messed up relationship there. Like that's a <laughs> no really, kidding. really, really messed up friendship. And the fact that Emma's also quote unquote trying to like, you know, tutor her and help her. I mean, this is freaking Jean Grey and help her out and stuff is kind of, it's all manner of weird. And it, it doesn't try to deviate from that at any point. It's not like it waves a, a sign saying this is really uncomfortable, but it kind of sneaks that in every once in a while. And you're like, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so I liked it. It was completely away from this, all the weird stuff that's been happening and just a little one-off kind of thing. But it was cool because of that. Okay, only a couple more. I have to, dude. Spider-Gwen 2. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you read it. I did. Didn't get any better. Maybe it got it, worse. Maybe a little. Uh, really? I didn't think yeah, that. I, I really didn't like this issue at all. Yeah, I, the whole bit with the imagining Spider-Pig to me is like, oh, come on. Really? That, that's it. That, I, I never think that works in a story. I, I never, never think that works. Unless somebody has a mental illness then are right. But if not, getting bonked on the head is not going to make you see a freaking pig in a spider costume. It Although just... I, I did like the line about the uh, 
you know, he's not a cannibal for eating a hot dog because yeah. he's a cartoon pig. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I really didn't like that. And then the, the, again, the, the drama with the other stuff was like, hey, this is not turning out to be anything remotely to what I thought it was going to be, hoped it would be any of that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm not bad. impressed. Yeah, which is really too bad. Although, Murdoch? Yeah. I said, Murdoch's going to be he's, awesome in this. He's created a great universe. I just wish somebody else was writing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really do. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man 2, the, mm-hmm. the newest one, was uh, was yet more awesome stuff as well. With the especially with freaking, well, she's Black Widow there <laughs> with the Jessica Drew, mm-hmm. just being awesome. <laughs> so that was cool, but uh, don't hurt Ganky. Yeah, really. It's I'm a little disappointed in where the story is going now. Doing the same old crap of let's kidnap everybody you love and make you do what we want just because we've got them as hostages. That's kind of like I I really hate. When they do that kind of thing over I'm just and over waiting again. for the scene when Miles' dad breaks out. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the scene with Miles and his girlfriend, like, in case you didn't know, we've broken. <laughs> <laughs> that was still awesome. Okay. couple more. Just really, really fast. Howard the Duck. Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Did you read it? No. Oh, my God. It was bad. Oh my God, it was bad. <laughs> terrible, terrible. And I would have been all right with silly slapstick. Oh, it's a duck kind of thing. And it was like, oh my God, it was bad. Terrible. Latest Wolverines? Terrible. <laughs> but not as terrible as prior issues. There were actually some moments that were good. The art actually was really good. Give props or props are due. Uh, Jonathan Marks and Lee Lawridge did the art. Um, art was killer. But anyways, it's this freaking dude now who's taking Creed off for this fantasy joy ride of this is what I would have been doing with Logan today. So you're going to come with me. And it's a heavy handed kind of moral lesson that he's trying to teach him. But it still comes off decent, not spectacular, but it still comes off pretty good. So, not as bad as what the other stuff has been. Some terrible in there, really bad, but I wouldn't say it is even worth reading. <laughs> but in terms of the story thus far, it is a little bit higher watermark than we've seen from the others. Okay. Postal. Did you read the first one after all? No. Okay. Second I forgot. One. Second one came out. Equally good. Like, there is... This is just a great story and it's not about superheroes and it's not, you know, that kind of thing. It's just a really good part mystery, part Twin Peaks kind of thing going on. And then at the end too, there's some really nice write-ups, some essay kind of things about how the, there was a town that was similar to this where, you know, crime just kind of, there was a family that was taken over and it was they were taken down by the FBI at one point. So you're, you're seeing some of the truth. There was a couple of moments where you're going, ah, oh, you had to do that, didn't you? But overall, it was still fairly interesting. Okay. So. And Star well, Wars then. 3. What? And Star Wars 3. Did you read oh, three Star Wars? I thought you were done. Did you read it, though? No. Oh, fine, I'm done. 
<laughs> you just edit in some more afterwards, you know. I can just talk to myself. It'd be more interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, this week is, compared to the last few weeks, relatively calm on the new release front. Marvel is bringing us all new Captain America number five, all new X-Men number 39, a magic mirror issue. Amazing Spider-Man number 16.1, which I'm actually pretty interested in because it's starting off a new storyline written by old school comic writer Jerry Conway. We saw him do some stuff in Spider-Verse, so I'm cool to see what he's uh, going to be doing here. We have Black Widow number 16, Guardians team up number 3, another Magic Mirror issue. Magneto number 16, Moon Knight number 13, Colin Bunn coming in as the new writer. Interested to see what he's going to do there. Princess Leia number 2 and Silk number 2. From DC, we are looking at Batgirl number 40, Batman Eternal number 50 and Batman Superman number 20. Image, Manhattan Projects returns with The Sun Beyond the Stars, number one. We also have Secret Identities, number two. I believe you said uh, you were liking that. And Stray Bullets, Sunshine and Roses, number two. And finally, from IDW, we have Borderlands, number seven, Dungeons and Dragons, Legends of Baldur's Gate, number five, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 44. So that's going to wrap us up here for this week at Comic Book Informer. As always, you find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. You can always check out our gaming podcast over at forthelore.com. And until next week, thanks for listening. Yeah.